All right, welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again via Zoom by Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune. Hi, Ben. Hi, Andrew. We are joining via Zoom, even though we are on opposite sides of the wall from each other. We still are recording using Zoom in 2022 because we just like it that much. But uh, if I knock on the side of this wall, it will probably pop up on your microphone. So <laughs> probably we're in the same would. building, but... Uh, we we can't stand to be in the same room together. That's really what it comes down to. So this will be a, a contentious podcast, I'm sure. I should just leave the sound mixer here at TCO so we actually always have it here as opposed yeah, to... It's <laughs> opposed to days where I'm thinking we're going to involve a third person on Zoom and then we end up not. But Ben and I, as he had mentioned, are here at TCO Performance Center where the Vikings are getting ready to host the Green Bay Packers to open the 2022 regular season at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday. We'll get into all the different tentacles of that game. Uh, we'll talk about Kirk Cousins and his t- outlook for the 2022 season. Uh, we'll get into a story Ben's got coming on Kevin O'Connell and him debuting as Vikings head coach. Uh, we'll talk, obviously, about Sunday's game, the setup of the NFC North going into this season. Talk about Zadarius Smith, former Packer player, and him and Daniel Hunter looking to form the new teeth of this remade Vikings defense. So just a lot to get to right off the top. Um, But Ben, you just had today's paper Wednesday of this week. You just had a sit down with Kirk Cousins uh, written about kind of getting into his thought process and how he views, you know, what I thought was interesting in terms of changing the narrative or trying to change the narrative around him. Um, You know, we start training camp with Kwesi Adolfo Mensa kind of stepping in it a little bit by just saying the quiet part out loud of like, Hey, he's not Tom Brady. He's not Patrick Mahomes when talking about Kirk cousins, obviously Kirk knows that. So where is his mindset in terms of trying to establish his own narrative about his career and himself? Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about that whole thing um, that created a fairly low level um, reaction around the NFL is, and I think I've said this, but the person who would say that about Kirk Cousins, that he is not at the very tippy top of the NFL quarterback stratosphere is Kirk Cousins. I've had that conversation with him before, you know, talking about the guys that he views as the best of the best of the best. And he lists the names that everybody would expect. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Drew Brees, this, and when, the, when we talked about this, this was you know a couple of years back when Brees was still playing. <laughs> Obviously, Patrick Mahomes. He he he's I've always found him to be fairly self-aware when it comes to his place in the game. I, I think he's been fairly forthright about the fact that he's a 500 quarterback through the course of his career. That he's been productive for an awfully long time. I mean, you don't get to be a 10 year NFL quarterback who's been starting for you know seven or eight years if you're not doing the job at a competent level. But he has also, I think, been fairly willing to say, look, I, I haven't won everything that I want to win and I'm trying to, to change that. So I don't think any of that stuff really bothered him that much, or at least was that different than how he'd assess himself. Um, and when I talked to him last week, it was, I, I think a lot of that similar theme, I, I think 
the thing I, I sort of noticed was, you know, he, he is aware certainly of all of the chatter and, and he is probably as talked about as any quarterback in the NFL from the sense of, is he that good? Is he not? I mean, you know, he's kind of the, the quintessential guy that you talk about in terms of everybody can have a take and it's defensible. You can say, Hey, look at his numbers. He's really productive. He's really good. Or say, look at the lack of playoff success, look at the overall record, look at, um, you know, pick your favorite stat. And I, I kind of reference that in the story. You, you can pick your favorite stat on any side of this thing in terms of, is he too careful with the ball? Is he not careful enough? Uh, is he bad in prime time? Did he do more last year when they were trailing all those games to, to come back? I mean, anybody can take any side of this. So he's, he's fairly aware of that, I think. Um, and he, he knows that all of that is, is part of it with him. And he, I basically asked him, uh, we got into the, the conversation about um, you like that plus a word during training camp, you know, the, the, the moment that everybody kind of latched onto the, whoa, Kirk swore on the field. And he said something in uh, an interview with Ben Lieber that weekend about, I don't feel like people here know me very well, people in Minnesota. And I, I thought that was interesting. So I asked him about that and he said, you know, um, I'd love for people to know me better, but they, they can't be around me in the locker room every day. They can't see me kind of in a less on less performative setting. They, they only get these little snippets of me. So he said, I have to go show people a little more of what I'm like. And it's kind of hard to do that. So he kind of seems resigned to it. And then I followed up with him. I said, you know, does that bother you at all? And he said, you know what? Um, winning will kind of tell the story. It, he seems to understand it. He's not going to be everybody's best friend. He's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Um, if he wins and wins big, people will appreciate what he's doing. And if he doesn't, it probably won't matter all that much. So I, I thought he was fairly um, uh, not resigned to it, but, you know, kind of almost zen. I guess about the whole thing and uh, Hey, uh, I need to win or none of this talk about new coaching staff, new approach, all of the things that I have going for me is going to matter. So that's kind of where he lands on a lot of it. Yeah. And he's obviously the last time Kirk was preparing for a game against the green Bay Packers was a pivotal moment last year where he gets put on the COVID list and cannot compete in that game to keep the team's playoff hopes alive. Um, so that was the last time that that's where the conversation was at last time the Vikings were headed into a game against the Packers. Uh, it's a lot different right now with the NFL's COVID protocols done away. Kirk doesn't have to worry about that. And uh, we've got random NFL pontificators uh, saying Kirk Cousins is a dark horse MVP candidate, which I thought was pretty funny. And, and Kirk, I got to give him props because I, I did enjoy his uh, response when he was broached with that topic today. In Egan, Kirk says at, at one point he goes, I think it's good content on a Wednesday morning and they're just trying to fill a segment. <laughs> and then probably in, in some Thursday newspapers as well. <laughs> I, I'm quite certain you will see that in at least one of the newspapers in the Twin Cities on Thursday morning. Uh, it's just ridiculous. But I mean, you know, Kirk, 
Kirk basically just didn't make it about himself and said they got a lot of good teammates on offense, obviously. Um, I don't think too many people would go that far with Kirk Cousins' prospects in the 2022 season. Uh, but, Ben, what should expectations be for him in this offense based on everything we've seen uh, so far with, with Kirk running yet another offense with yet another play call? Yeah, I thought it was interesting this morning. Kevin O'Connell talked about this a little bit. He said, I don't necessarily expect Kirk to take a huge step up. And, and only in the sense that, look, he's 34 years old. You kind of have a track record at this point of what he is, what he's not. And I think he was also probably saying a huge step up may not be necessary. I mean, the, you know, the guy... It is kind of funny because we talk about the guy like he's had a lot of seasons where he throws for, you know, 3,000 yards and 18 touchdowns and 12 picks or something. I mean, he pretty routinely ends up with like 30 touchdowns and 10 picks or less and has done it while running an offense that hasn't put great protection in front of him and hasn't asked him to kind of open up the offense to the degree that he might be asked to do it this year. So. And there are also criticisms that he kind of has hacked the position that he errs on the side of throws that will keep his statistics looking nice and pretty and, you know, kind of passes up on riskier throws downfield. I'm curious about that part of it um, from some of the things West Phillips said this offseason about it may be more of a high, high to low read for him than he's seen in the past if they're asking him to read plays differently. I'm curious how that goes too, but the fact that O'Connell said, I'm not expecting a huge step forward for him may mean in part that we just need him to, to take a little more of a marginal step forward than he has in the last few years. And that may be enough for us to, to be awfully productive. Now, the question I have with all of this is if the hypothesis either from them or from onlookers is Kirk Cousins in 2022 can be Matthew Stafford in 2021. The problem with that is I would be very, very, very surprised if the Vikings defense of 2022 is the Rams defense of 2021. The, the talent level through three levels of that thing, I just don't think is the same. So if Cousins is on that level, will that be enough to get them to the same place that Matthew Stafford went with the Rams last year. I'm just not sure. So, um, you know, that seems to be the, the, the mold everybody's trying to put on Cousins. And I get it. And we've talked about it. I think there's, there's certainly reason to, to do some of that. But I don't know that Cousins becoming Stafford automatically means Vikings become 2021 Rams and are celebrating a Lombardi trophy in February. Yeah, there are a lot of differences between those teams right now. Um, I thought it was interesting while you were talking, I was just crunching the numbers on Kirk cousins career versus green Bay. And it's very indicative of his career in the NFL as a whole. Yeah. He is, he is four, four and one against green Bay three, three and one in Minnesota. Uh, yet he has performed very well individually in those games, throwing about 300 yards a game, 20 touchdowns to five interceptions across those nine games, yet his teams are precisely 500, um, which I thought was, was 
pretty funny and interesting. And the way Kirk has played against Green Bay, at least recently, has been pretty good. He's won his last two starts. Obviously, wasn't able to make that one out in uh, Green Bay last December. But the last time we saw him play the Packers was that home game at U.S. Bank in November last year, where I believe he threw three touchdowns, no interceptions. Justin Jefferson went off. Um, when you look at these two teams now, Ben, heading into Sunday, and you look at Green Bay and the way they're set up still, and you look at Minnesota, do you expect Kirk to, to have to have another one of those kinds of games, kind of light the scoreboard up kind of performance for them to win this game? You know, I, I don't know that it will be quite as necessary because I this game could have a little bit of a different feel, I think, than the game did last year, certainly that first one. I think the Packers offensively may not force you into the type of game where it's trade scores every time down the field. I, I just – it's so hard to know because is Aaron Rodgers going to come out and feel – on the same page enough with his receivers to think that that offense is going to operate the way we've seen it operate in the past. I don't know that. And I also don't know that the Packers front seven is going to be such that the Vikings can just do whatever they want either. I, I, I think between Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, you know, D, uh, Devondre Campbell, I mean, they, they have enough playmakers especially with the rookies they've added, if those, if those Georgia kids can come in and, and be productive, I think they present a lot of matchup problems for this offensive line. So I don't know that you're going to see every drive on Sunday be a work of art where both teams are just going down the field and scoring and neither defense can do anything about it. I mean, I'm just not sure it's going to be that kind of a game. So does he have to go off? I don't know that that'll that will be what it takes simply because I think uh, there could be drives where Aaron Rodgers is misfiring and there could be drives where the Vikings just can't do a lot against that front seven. It, it may take a little bit of feeling out for both those teams. It could be one of those where it's, you know, six, three at halftime. And then you see a little bit more of an adjustment and you get a little more of some fireworks in the second half. It, it, it's, it's really an interesting matchup for these two teams to start because you typically talk about division rivals and how well they know each other and how often they see each other and all of these things of it's this trying to find something that the other team hasn't seen or execute something that you know, they're going to do. This isn't that with this matchup because you have so many differences for the Packers on both sides of the ball. The Vikings obviously have new schemes on both sides of the ball. Um, the Vikings don't have that much new personnel, but they're using it quite a bit differently. The Packers are running the same stuff with, completely different people in the passing game and certainly a lot of different pieces on defense too. So um, two teams that run very similar schemes, but the Packers have different people executing them. The Vikings have different people calling them. So um, what it will all look like, I think it's, it's, it's a hard one to kind of pick ahead of time, but I think it's going to be awfully fascinating to watch. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be, I mean, these games between these two teams are always fun, but, this one, I think, has enough wrinkles. I'm, I'm looking forward to covering it. And the sense of you bring up the familiarity and the sense of it being really different this time around, um, I thought was an interesting point because I, I wonder if the Vikings are either going to have the upper hand in that sense of, you know, like you said, new schemes, new playbooks, new coaching staffs, new play callers. Uh, and or how much none of, of that film either. Like, none of it. 
none of it what none of it on film yeah I mean, correct yeah and put any of it out there and and so but how much of that's going to be offset by the inexperience of ed donatel not calling a defensive play of this decade and kevin o'connell being new to you know yeah. the full-time play calling last time he was calling plays it was for Dwayne haskins for half a season in washington so this the Vikings have the inexperience. However, the Packers don't really have that familiarity that they've had of knowing what a Mike Zimmer defense is going to look like or knowing the third iteration of the Kubiak offense that the Vikings are going to run um, on that side of the ball. Um, but I do wonder if the Vikings have the leg up because of that element of surprise. And also, I'm always fascinated by the former player, the dynamic of the former player helping a team get ready for his old team that week, right? Like we've heard stories about in, in this, you know, your, your Kevin O'Connell piece um, alludes to this as well, but we've heard stories from former offensive linemen who said they've come in to the Vikings facility. They get sat down inside the defensive line coaches position room and they just say, okay, walk me through all the protections. Like, Tell me everything this quarterback likes to do when we show this look. Tell us how you guys adjust this way. And depending on the player, you can get a lot out of that sometimes. I think with the Vikings, they're probably going to get a lot and already have gotten a lot out of Zedarius Smith this time around with his three years in Green Bay in that defense. And so I I do wonder if the Vikings have the upper hand a little bit when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're also uh, we're getting the Zedarius Smith revenge game angles in the mix here too. So uh, we get to dust that one off. That's an old favorite of uh, some of us in the, in the business. Um, yeah. The, the trying to diagnose the protections thing, I I'm quite certain, like you say, he's probably done that. It's interesting because I asked Mike Pettin about that with Kevin O'Connell, because he's kind of told this story of how O'Connell basically redesigned their, their blitz cards with, Tom Brady, because he was Brady's backup for a year. Brady got hurt, but he watched Brady practice that year and obviously studied all of their, their playbook and knew enough of how Brady operated for him to go in and say, no, you can't do that because if you do that, he's going to do this. This is how you actually have to execute the play. It's not as much about the what's on the card as how you do it on, you know, on Sunday. So I asked Petten, is that normal to get that much out of those things? And he just kind of goes, well, it depends, <laughs> meaning there are certain guys that are fit to come in and give you a little bit more insight. And there's some guys, it's just like, this isn't really going anywhere. So I would expect that Zadarius Smith is probably fairly motivated to give up as much as he can, uh, given how fired up he seems to be for this one. Um, so yeah, I, I, depending on what they can get out of it, I, I think it'll be awfully interesting to, to watch uh, kind of what happens. And you've got Mike Pettin and Mike Smith who would have practiced a lot against Aaron Rodgers and should know how to um, dial things up to deal with him and, and kind of, you know, you hear, you hear this coaching staff talking a lot about using their rules against them. So in terms of protection, in terms of coverage, knowing how teams do it, and then almost kind of this guerrilla warfare thing of this is what they're going to do and we're going to use it to burn them. So I would expect, I expect there's a fair amount of that conversation going on in this building this week. And um, yeah, one of those things that'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. As yeah, Darius Smith is probably very motivated uh, in this game, 
debuting for the Minnesota Vikings against his former team in the Packers. Darius obviously spent three seasons in Green Bay before they cut him to save money. I think they ended up saving something like $10 million against the cap to trim uh, his salary off of there and obviously coming off a back injury last year where he wasn't able to do much for them. He joins up with Daniel Hunter. Uh, really, I think we've all kind of been in the consensus, Ben, that this defense is going to go as far as those two guys kind of take it in terms of the pass rush, how much they can get out of it. Uh, can they rely just on a four-man pass rush and not have to blitz all the time to get the force, the, the quarterback to get the ball out of his hands quickly, um, all that kind of stuff. Because right now it certainly looks like we're going to see Cam Bynum starting at safety. We're going to see Cameron Dantzler starting at corner. None of the rookies that they drafted outside of Ed Ingram are going to be in a starting lineup, which you would have bet that in May. I don't know how many people would have uh, picked that one. So I guess what's the confidence level and how do you see Ben, this defense matching up with Aaron Rodgers in that Packers offense? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because you've got Zedarius Smith and Daniel Hunter on one side of it, but the Packers offensive line sounds like it's getting healthier. It sounds like we're going to see David Bakhtiari. I I think we'll see him and we'll get injury reports throughout the week here, but Elton Jenkins, if he's back in the mix as well, that's a pretty good group when it's healthy. And they've had some changes kind of in that interior with, you know, Corey Lindsley moving out over the years and, and still kind of breaking in new pieces, Josh Myers in the middle of it, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating matchup there too, because one thing we've heard Mike Smith, their outside linebackers coach say a lot is, I want to put my best on your worst. And we are going to see them move Smith and Hunter to try to get the matchups they want against whatever part of the protection they want. So there's, there's a fair amount of chess match stuff with this one to watch, I think. And, and the fact that the Packers get David Bakhtiari back, I, I would not think if you feel like he's healthy, that you're trying to get as much of a situation where you're testing him because he is awfully good as a pass protector when it's healthy. And we'll see, you know, first game back how he looks, but I, I would think they'd be trying to move guys around and get matchups against maybe some of those interior guys that just aren't as well suited to deal with a Daniil Hunter or Zedarius Smith. So can they move those guys around? How does Rogers adjust protections as a result? Yeah, I mean, all of that kind of stuff, I think, is going to have a big part of how this one goes. Because if Rodgers is trying to decipher the coverages, even if it's stuff he practices against, if there's new looks and he's having to hold the ball, especially if he doesn't trust his receivers yet, that could play in the favor of the Vikings defense. Just that extra half second that they talk about a lot, trying to steal from an offense, that can make a difference in a big play or two that either doesn't hit or turns into a sack or you know, a turnover that doesn't happen very often with Aaron Rodgers. But if it turns into a sack, we've certainly seen that where he holds the ball and, and can get himself in, in some trouble that way. So um, I feel like this is going to be a, one of those games that probably comes down to a play or two. And it really could be any one of those types of moments that tip this one one way or the other. Uh, I want to go back to Zadarius Smith really quick because I just found the comments. Uh, mm. Zadarius, Zadarius has been, um, in general, pretty diplomatic to, to Minnesota media about how he views Green Bay in general. And 
he hasn't hit his intention of like, yeah, I'm looking forward to the game and all that stuff. But um, he told Tyler Dunn this offseason that uh, part of how part of the reason why he signed with the Vikings was because he wanted to play the Packers twice a year, feeling, um, I guess, spited in a sense of how he was treated last year when he was on IR. Uh, Zadarius Smith was quoted as saying, walking past me, not saying nothing, not saying, Z, how's your back doing? There was none of that. As you can see, that adds on to why I'm on the other side. So I can go back. I get to go back two to three times a year. Um, and he was just saying, yeah, that year three, I was treated bad. That's why I'm here now. Uh, some of this seems like revisionist history because. Didn't he sign with Baltimore? Yeah, he agreed to a deal with somebody else. Uh, before he reneged on that reportedly because Baltimore wouldn't budge on giving him more guaranteed money. Yeah. So to, that's how Zadarius became available again for the Vikings to swoop in. So it's not like Zadarius left Green Bay and then went running into the Vikings' arms and said, give me anything. I'll take anything to play the Packers. Uh, he not was going to go. Like say, say that again. It's not like I did it. <laughs> it's not. If you don't want me to play for you, let me play against you. Zadarius was going to go back to the team that drafted him in Baltimore before that fell through. So, but either way, I'm sure he's got plenty of motivation um, and Green Bay saying, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. We're not going to let you play out your contract. Um, I'm sure he's got plenty of motivation, but yeah, Zadarius has been made available like twice to Minnesota media and hasn't said much more than that. He's just looking forward to the game. Uh, and, and that's about it. I do think he's going to be, as you said, Ben, a major factor in Sunday's game on, on whether or not they can create enough pressure on Aaron Rodgers and prevent this game from getting busted open because I just don't have a whole lot of faith right now when it comes to what this Vikings offensive line has looked like and how it matches up on paper with the Packers' pass rush. Yeah. We've seen the story too many times with the Vikings where that interior line gets blown up and the Vikings decide to give rookie Ed Ingram the start at right guard with Garrett Bradbury and Ezra Cleveland. So that's one of the things, too, that I'm fascinated to see how that plays out with Ed Ingram starting at that spot. Um, the good news for the Vikings is they do expect to have Irv Smith Jr. for this game. Irv Smith has returned to practice last week and has been catching passes um, and so they expect to have him. We'll see if that's at full go or not. Um, ben, you got a story coming up on Kevin O'Connell. You briefly mentioned it uh, when talking about just his background as a backup quarterback and kind of helping coaching staffs in random spots that he's been at. Uh, you got to sit down with O'Connell, talk to Mike Pettin, talk to other people in O'Connell's past. What did you learn about the Vikings head coach? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because there has kind of been this theme that I saw develop throughout this, that <clears throat> he's 37 years old. He's the youngest Vikings head coach since Norm Van Brocklin, who was the first coach of the team. The first game Norm Van Brocklin coached, which was the first in Vikings history, he was 35 years old. Kevin O'Connell is the youngest head coach the Vikings have had since 1961. Yes, he got there awfully quickly. And some of that is because he he had a very short NFL career that allowed him to make a lot of impressions on people. I mean, he had he walked out of the league with people like Bill Belichick, people like Rex Ryan, Mike Pettin, 
saying, hey, if you decide to come back and get into this, you could be really, really good at it. Um, part of the reason he ended up there as quickly as he did is because his career didn't go the way he was hoping. There, There is a world. I mean, he was a third-round pick. It's not like he was you know, some seventh-round pick or undrafted free agents trying to make the team. I mean, he, he came into the league as a decently high pick that would probably get a chance to, to compete for a starting job at some point. Not New England necessarily, but if he plays well enough there, he gets traded and he goes and starts somewhere else. Put it this way. Uh, of the people in the organization, currently, Kevin O'Connell was the highest drafted quarterback. Uh, he was Kirk Cousins with a fourth-round pick. Kellen Mond, of course, is not here. Kellen Mond was a third-round pick. But Kevin O'Connell was drafted higher than any quarterback the Vikings have in that room right now. Um, and the fact that he was coaching by age 29 – I doubt is how he drew it out. So I, I think in a perfect world, he would have played his NFL career and been successful. There's a, there's a world, I suppose, where he's still playing. He's 37. We see plenty of quarterbacks. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is older than Kevin O'Connell is. Kirk Cousins is four years younger. So it, it's not unrealistic that if he had been successful, he's still in the middle of his playing career and whatever coaching aspirations he has, wait until later when he ends his long, successful run in the NFL. I, that is, you know, it, it didn't go that way, but it's not completely bonkers to think that that could have happened. So one of the things that comes up with that is he kind of has to go through this period of I'm done playing. I don't quite know what I want to do. He was doing the media thing for a little bit, calling college football games and it seemed like he you know, could have made a career of that. But then Mike Patton gives him a call in 2015 and says, Hey, we want you to come and be our quarterbacks coach. And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be on the next flight. So he was so eager to get back into it as a coach. I think from some of the interactions he'd had with teammates and, and coaches in the NFL that he takes the job and that job we should remind people was basically to come in the Penton had fired his first quarterbacks coach in Cleveland because that coach Dowell Loggins did not manage Johnny Manziel in a way that Petten thought was appropriate. This is Johnny Manziel's rookie year has just caused a bunch of controversy. O'Connell gets the job, I think, like a week after Manziel had checked himself into treatment. So you're not walking in to, like, the greatest situation ever as a quarterback's coach to say, hey, you know, we've, we've got this veteran guy that he'll be great to – work with and you've got the room all set how you need it we just need you to kind of help take guys to the next level it's we need you to manage this and then they signed josh mccown who's older than kevin o'connell we need you to connect with this guy that's been in the league for however many years at that point you know dating back to 03 as vikings fans probably ruefully recall josh mccown was in the league in 2003 and um he's 35 years old he's six years older than kevin o'connell at this point so you you have a, a kind of tough set of circumstances to manage in your first job and, and you have to go in there and earn the respect of the veteran and connect with the young guy who has been a Heisman Trophy winner and has had all this hype. O'Connell had worked with him a little bit to get him ready for the combine. So they had a relationship, but you have to come in now and be his boss. And it was not necessarily this kind of golden path from uh, Sean McVay's assistant at age 35 to being a head coach now. I mean, certainly the last couple of steps have been, but for him to get there by this age, it was not 
terribly easy. It it was it's unique that you see a player become an NFL coach. Most NFL coaches did not play in the league. Uh, most of them were not draft picks. You get guys that kind of wash out of college football by the time they're in their early twenties. Matt Lafleur, I think, played for the Omaha Beef at this. <laughs> You know, low-level football league. He was a quarterback there. I mean, that's more of the common story. That you get guys that it they, it doesn't work out in college, and they go the graduate assistant route, and they kind of work their way up that way. And then maybe by the time they're in their mid thirties, they've worked their way to coaching in the NFL, and they get their shot. Kevin Stefanski, that's the story. Sean McVay, all of those guys. It's pretty uncommon to see a third-round pick coaching in the NFL by age thirty-seven. So the the path he had to take to get there. I thought was kind of interesting. And it's also interesting to me that he's in the league for four years and you walk out already with this. He was not in one, one city for more than like 16 months that his longest stay with any one team as a player was with the Patriots. And they had already cut him by the end of training camp of his second season, I believe and had some injury stuff in there as well, but you have to make an impression on people awfully quickly to be with five teams in four years. And you have all these people saying, Dude, I, I want to keep your name in my cell phone because you could be a good coach someday. I mean, Petten had him at the top of the list when he had an opening, and obviously that comes from making an impression awfully quickly. So kind of fascinating to see how he managed all of that and, and some of the personality stuff that obviously drew the Vikings to him that kind of helped him get to this point. So, you know, people will get to read more about that on Sunday, but interesting to kind of look at his path through that lens. And he kind of got punched in the mouth. Uh, as far as his, how his playing career went and um, found a found a different way to get to where he wants to be. All right, Ben, that begs the question, does Kevin O'Connell have much of a shot in this division? The NFC North uh, went through some changes the last couple of years, mm-hmm. but among them, Aaron Rodgers is still here, which generally means that this is still his division. So I guess I wanted to open up the conversation more to outlook across the four teams or the three other division foes for the Vikings um, or really just the other one when it comes to Green Bay and Sunday's opponent. But it seems to have been the Vikings and Packers tussle for the division the last, what, really two decades Yeah, outside of two years for the Bears, right? I'm trying to think. I mean, we should be able to figure this out fairly easily. The Vikings have won the NFC North since it became the NFC North. I think we're – Entering year 21 of it. I think now it's we've had 20 seasons of the NFC North. Sorry, I'm trying not to sneeze here. Um, I'll just pick it up. Once I figure this out. Uh, Vikings won the NFC North, I believe, in 2008, 2009, 2015, and 2017. So they have four of those. Uh, the Bears, I believe, won it in 2010. And 2018, I think, as they uh, beat the Vikings the last week of the season, had the division clinched already. Um, don't know if they have another one. They do. Okay, so I just looked this up. So since it became the NFC North in 2002, the Bears have four titles. The Vikings also have four titles. The Packers have the other 12. Correct. The Bears also won in 05 and 06. Oh, of course. Yes, the the. Brian Locker, Devin Hester, Super Bowl team. And then I think they lost the NFC title game in 05 um, to Seattle, if I recall. Um, 
Yeah, so they have four. The Vikings have the same number, and the Packers have three times as many as either. The Lions, of course, do not have a division title since, I believe, 1991. So, uh, and that, of course, was not the NFC North. It's 90, uh, 93, they snuck one in. There. Oh, yes. I, that, I think it was like everybody was 9-7, and seven and they um, – they probably technically won the division. I think I think they lost to the Packers the first round. Of the play. It was like an NFC North or NFC Central tournament, basically. Because I think the Vikings played the Bears in the first round. I mean, that was that might have been '94. Because the Packers and Lions, I think, played two years in a row, and then uh, yeah, I think one year three teams from the NFC Central made it, and the other year four did or something. But um, you know, that was nine and seven. Everyone's nine and seven heyday kind of thing back then, but. Yeah, so the NFC North, for 60% of its existence, has been won by the Packers. And, you know, that's quarterbacking more than anything else. But will this change it at all this year? I, you know, I, I think you have to assume they're the favorite once again. I, you know, they're, they've got some things to figure out with wide receivers, but they're awfully talented just about everywhere else. And maybe one of those receivers hits and, and they're fine, but – you know, when they've got their offensive line getting healthy, defense is as good, I think, as it's been, at least talent-wise, in an awfully long time. And they still have a really good tandem with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So, yeah, I'd have to say they're the favorites unless their special team screws them over again. But, um, yeah, I think they're the favorites. I think you'd put the Vikings second. Um, I guess I'm a little more bullish on the Lions than the Bears. Um, I think we saw enough progress from the Lions last year, and maybe I'm just – starting to buy Dan Campbell a little bit more, but uh, I didn't watch a lot of hard knocks. I, I don't have HBO, so I just saw a couple clips. But, yeah, I think the way they played at the end of last season, you feel like they might be enough of a factor not to make the playoffs, but at least to, you know, steal a game here or there and make things interesting. I, I don't know that I quite buy the Bears having that level of uh, staying power yet. This is a great stat. I just, I love the concept of this, but the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have won the Lions division more recently than yes. the Lions. That's <laughs> yes, that's that, great. I suppose Tony Dungy probably has that claim. Um, I would think the, because the year the Bucs won the Super Bowl probably would have been the first year of the NFC South, I believe. I think it was 02 that the Bucs won it. So. Yep. Yes, I, I yes, that's completely accurate. That Tony Dungy would have a more recent NFC North slash Central Division title in the Lions, but <laughs> that's incredible. Um, I think part part of the outlook for the Vikings uh, in this division is, you know, it's almost like when Brady was was with the AFC East. And it just, it's played out that way almost. I mean, I know the Vikings snuck up there a few years. The Bears have snuck up there a few years. But it's like you just got to wait for the quarterback to go. And Rodgers has been that dominant in the regular season. Obviously not the case in the postseason. Hang around to retire, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it's like you just got to wait for him to leave the division and, you know, or try to tamper with another team and take ownership of the Miami Dolphins or something. Um Oh, yeah, that's him. I thought you were talking about, I'm doing tamper. <laughs> yeah. Are you Tampa's doing all right? Tom Brady should not have tampered. I never did tamper. <laughs> you're, uh, I can't believe you're hacking up along between these Favre impressions. I'm, I'm impressed. 
yeah, it's just on and off. I'm sneezing, I'm muting, I'm coming back to inform them. <laughs> uh i um I, I i do think though that nothing's changed i don't care if Devonte adams leaves i don't care if they say green bay you're only legally allowed to play with four offensive linemen this year i i just think that you're not going to beat them in the regular season or at least when they have to play 15 other teams or 13 you know non-division teams whatever it is um over the course of a regular season, you're just going to be really hard pressed to get a better record than Aaron Rodgers over that large of a sample size. So I just don't see the way this roster is constructed. The Vikings really vying for anything more than a wild card berth in the playoffs yeah. at this point. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I mean, you have to have a certain level of consistency throughout the season, not losing games to teams that you shouldn't lose to. And it's just hard to see anything in Kirk Cousins. <laughs> history of that to the the mute button is a wonderful thing because people i don't think unless they can hear it coming through your headphones don't hear me sneezing like crazy but uh you know we would through the magic of of radio in the 21st century we can make them unaware it's happening but yeah i just don't know that kirk cousins is uh quite to the level where you say 17 games you're going to get 13, 14 victories out of them. And that may be what it takes to eclipse the Packers in this division. Yeah, I, I think that's really what it will take because I don't know how other way, you know, it's going to take, you know, the 2017 style Aaron Rodgers injury or something that prevents him from leading that team because he's been that good coming off back-to-back MVPs. Um, it's been pretty incredible to see. And the fact that he's still there. Maybe it's the hallucinogenics. Maybe it's the ayahuasca. Yep. <laughs> I just don't care that he lost to Vontae. I know it's going to be a big blow for them. That was like their automatic thing they could go to whenever they need Sometimes a little too automatic, I think. The playoff game would show us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So maybe maybe they learn to uh, adapt and do something else uh, with this offense and with this passing game um, with Aaron Rodgers. The rest of the division, I have to agree with you. I just don't see... I don't see Chicago doing anything. I think that's going to be the easiest bet in sports in 2022 is that the Bears are going to lose most Sundays. Um, and the Lions, I've watched zero hard knocks, but I've also seen like every Dan Campbell quote that gets put on social media. And I'm yep. 100% in. I'm all in on the Lions. So, the team that, team that will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll buy it. I did see one clip of, of a Hard Knocks episode where Dan Campbell's up in the front of the room and he's like, you know, giving some motivational speech. But in reality, he's saying just gibberish, just nothing. <laughs> and at one point he points to the wall and he goes, all we need is right over there. And it pans to the wall. And in giant letters is the word painted, the word grit on the side of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm just like oh, I'm all in. I'm all in. The Lions are going 14 and three, and they're they're gonna they're gonna head for a Super Bowl here. Imagine um, what it must be like to work in operations for these teams, where <laughs> it's like, hey, um, guys, we need to get there really early today. We we got a special project that that Coach Campbell's asked us to do. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. What is it? What is it? You know, I'm excited. What what are we What are we gonna go do? <clears throat> he wants us to go in. 
<laughs> to the meeting room and in big block, all caps letters, paint the word grit. <laughs> really? That's anything else? No, no. We just need to go paint the word grit. Did he say why? No, no. But we need to have it done by 630 tomorrow morning. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, it's a, it's a uh, must be an interesting job to you know, because somebody has to go do that. It's not Dan Campbell coming in there and painting those things on his own. So are you sure? Are you sure it's not? I, I'm, I guess I, I shouldn't <laughs> say that sure because it's not impossible that it would be him. But uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably not. So probably somebody in operations has to go do that. And um, yeah, it's, it's just an interesting, uh, you know, everybody has a role to play in making these things go. It would be really gritty to go in there and paint yourself the word grit. That would be very in your meeting room. <laughs> yes. So gritty that you'd assume he cheers for the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, we're going to have to wait till week three for grit to come to U.S. Bank Stadium when the Lions travel out here. For now, we're going to have to settle for the Vikings top rival in Green Bay coming to U.S. Bank Stadium. That is where we will talk to you next following Sunday afternoon's game following the opening of the 2022 regular season. Yeah, do what my, my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less, so I'll say less. <laughs>